Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have a full panel, and that panel also includes a guest speaker, which we'll get to in just a, a moment. Uh, but that always includes Jorna Taylor. Jorna Taylor is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Always here. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Good morning, everyone. So we have a full uh, uh, show here. Lots of topics. We're going to try lots of topics. Uh, and I'm going to quickly uh, go through what those are. First, we're, we have to talk about the ruling that came down around voter ID. And uh, our first guest, Anita Johnson, an organizer here at Citizen Action who works on voter ID is going to be with us to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the uh, news that came out this week around the Affordable Care Act rates in Wisconsin that they're going to be going up next year. And Robert's going to tell us a little bit more about why we think that is happening and what we ought to be doing. Uh, we have to talk about Trump. This is quite the week. We cannot, <laughs> it's almost impossible to not have a week these uh, lately that doesn't involve Trump and uh, Paul Ryan. Our Paul Ryan watch will, of course, intersect with Trump. And um, we're going to talk a little more about payday loans and uh, primary election next week. So with that, we want to get to our first topic, and that is the ruling that came out late Friday by a federal judge. And uh, the federal judge ruled essentially that major parts of the voting restrictions that were passed uh, by the conservative legislature and, of course, signed by Governor Walker uh, between 2011 and 2014 are unconstitutional. We want to start by actually focusing... Well, and we... Just to, for uh, acknowledgement, we are lead plaintiffs in that lawsuit. Our charitable arms, as National Wisconsin Education Fund, and Anita Johnson, our organizer herself, is a plaintiff. And our good friends at One Wisconsin Institute are lead plaintiffs. So the part that we want to actually uh, dive into right away, and part of why we want to have Anita here, is in the ruling, the judge was very clear that he thought several parts uh, constitute intentional racism and racial discrimination, uh, particularly against African-American and Latino voters. And so, Anita, we're thrilled to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have had you on uh, a couple times before to talk about uh, your work, both uh, you've been obviously an organizer in the uh, Milwaukee community for a long time, but ever since these laws passed, you've been spending a significant increasing amount of your time helping folks uh, navigate this process and wanted to get your comments first on the ruling and what you heard, but then also specifically about the, the judge pointing out the intentional racial discrimination and whether this is something that you would obviously sure. agree with. Sure. I think with. this is one of the things uh, that the judge uh, realized that my time now is spent 100% in educating the public on the changes in the voting laws. He realized that I could do nothing else for citizen action because these laws had changed. Um, and it's true. Uh, these laws do affect people of color, i.e., when you go to do early voting. We were only given 10 days to do early voting. Most people work during the day. They, they don't get a chance to do early voting, even though you can request time off to go vote, they're still a little leery about doing that. So people didn't get a chance to do early voting. 
they have this thing sold to the polls. The churches were taking their membership to the polls to vote early, and that could not be done anymore because we couldn't vote on the weekends. Uh, clearly, the registering to vote and having the 28-day requirement instead of the 10-day requ requirement did affect people of color. Unfortunately, we do have people that move a lot. So people were not able to produce proof of residence uh, when I asked them if they wanted to be registered to vote. Um, there was also the thing with the students. Uh, we couldn't use the list. The uh, list, yeah. Yes. And, you know, they wanted to prove that these students were American citizens and all of that. So clearly there were several issues. They said the dorm list had to prove that, which is yes. absurd. What dorm list includes there, citizenship <laughs> status? There, there you go. There you go. So all the way around, people, um, when they went to get photo IDs, didn't have birth certificates, as we all know. And that was another issue because a lot of people uh, were born in the South by midwives. Mm -hmm. And nothing was written up. There was no document saying that, you know, they were actually born. Or the names were misspelled. As you all know, I worked with a man for six months before we could get an ID for him because his name was spelled wrong. So these are the things that really made the judge see that this was unfair for people of color. In voting. Right. And Judge Peterson didn't throw out all of photo ID because he thought the Supreme Court had constrained him, but he threw out the whole appeals process as unconstitutional. Yes, he did. And he's also relying on Judge Edelman's previous solution, which is people filling out uh, affidavits at the polls just saying, I'm who I say I am, which is very secure because you're committing a, a felony and you're easy to track you, you fill out a form. So clearly that is enough protection if you actually want people to vote. Right. But the big bombshell, Anita brought this up, was that Judge Peterson found that the early voting restrictions were a violation of the 15th Amendment. And I mean both the hours of early voting and also that you could only have one location per municipality, which means one from Milwaukee and one for Heartland, if you know, if you sort of made it, and so on and so forth. And uh, Rule, it's very hard. He, he, it's a very well-reasoned decision. It's 119 pages. And he, he actually didn't uh, rule in our favor on a number of issues because the burden of proof is so high. The burden is you have to prove they intended to disenfranchise people of color. The 15th Amendment is the one that says you can't deny the vote based on race, color, or previous certitude, I, uh, servitude, i.e. slavery, right? It's the Pope Reconstruction Era Amendment. And the case law, which I think is ridiculous, actually, in many ways, says it doesn't matter if you have that impact, you have to have intended it. He ruled that they intended right. to cause, to make it much harder for African Americans and Latinos in Milwaukee to vote, and that they are motivated by seeing pictures, pictures of a diverse set of people standing in line waiting to vote after hours early. And so, and also cited all of the, the famous Glenn Grothman comments about how this will help us win elections, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a bombshell that he has found them in violation of the 15th Amendment and ruled it was intentional racial discrimination. Right. Well, and just think about how this ruling could impact, um, you know, so many low-income 
people across the city of Milwaukee and Madison in the state as well. I mean, I'm lucky. I work for an organization that I can go vote whenever I want because that's what we do for a living. We encourage voting and there's no repercussions. But, you know, the the rule you the law you reference, Anita, says that your employer must give you three hours of time off to go and vote. But it's unpaid. So folks who are single moms and folks who are single dads or, you know, folks that are working two jobs just to get by they're not going to take that time off and so having some weekend hours is going to be great having more satellite locations again is going to be terrific and obviously it was targeted I mean come on let's be real all of these rules and laws have been so targeted at who the Republicans think are Democratic voters and they know that that's why they did it right so these arguments that it'll be fine no no the intent was for people to vote less and the the right to vote is the most fundamental of American rights you have a political party (laughs) that thinks it's okay to try to gain power by denying people the right to vote and what's shocking and I maybe Anita would reflect on this you know we used to think 20-30 years ago and Wisconsin until quite recently that all of these embarrassing things like this, these horrible constitutional violations, Jim Crow-like discrimination, was something that happened somewhere else. It happened in the South. Now, because Governor Walker and the Curtis legislature have embarrassed us many times, now we're the embarrassing place where things that will go in the history books as atrocious suppression of people's fundamental rights based on race happened here in Wisconsin. That's who these people are. Right. One of the things uh, that I testified on uh, early voting was we used to have rallies on Saturdays, and then we would walk from the Martin Luther King statue Mm -hmm. and walk all the way down to the courthouse to vote. That stopped because of the way they reduce early voting laws. Uh, That was one of the things that I talked about uh, when I was testified. They kept me on the witness stand for two hours um, uh, because they felt it was important because I work with people and do this every day. So they wanted to know exactly why did you feel that you still wanted the the, uh, early voting and what happened when that early voting stopped. So I did talk about, and we did do that, we marched from the MLK statue all the way down to the courthouse, and we voted. And that's the way we got a lot of people to vote. But I also want to say that up north, people just did not know the voting laws. They did not, a lot of them still don't know you need an ID to vote with. Education is very, very important uh, in this issue, and we need to get the word out about these changes so everyone in Wisconsin knows. So there's that with the current ruling, but then there's the emergency appeal of the Attorney General, which could change the rules yet again, right? So either case, whether we have these new better rules or whether they revert in some degree, we're going to need a ton of voter education, not just in Milwaukee, but across the state. Right. So to that end, Anita, we are running a significant program here in Milwaukee encouraging folks to get out and vote, and a lot of this has to do with some of the voter education you're talking about. Uh, What would you encourage people to do? I assume uh, we're we're taking volunteers and could use help. We need volunteers to um, canvas. Yep. We need volunteers to register people to vote. Um, If... We need people to do phone banks. (laughs) If you're interested in volunteering, you can call me at 414-899-3386. We have plenty of things for you to do if you want to volunteer.
We need volunteers. So, um, and the other thing that I wanted to say, um, I am still advocating that you get a photo ID. I am, I will not stop my job from getting people photo IDs. It's very important that you have a photo ID. I know there's some twist when you go to the uh, polls to vote now. If you went to the DNV and you didn't have a birth certificate, the DNV is to mail you a temporary receipt so you can vote. Stamped on that receipt says for voting purposes only. And now um, they're coming up with the affidavit uh, and you will be able to fill that out uh, when you go to the polls to vote, I am getting a copy of that. So when I go into the public to talk about it, I can be clear about what's on that affidavit and what you will have to fill out. However, get your photo ID. And if you're having problems getting one, please call me, 414-899-3386. Anita, thanks for all the work you do, and thanks for taking time to come in and uh, talk to our listeners today. You're very welcome. Okay, great. Thank you. So, so obviously, um, it w it's great to have Anita Johnson here and really want to encourage you to get involved. We will be making sure that people have the latest information because this is we have an opportunity in Milwaukee to actually expand the hours now, potentially add different locations, and uh, that uh, we need to get the word out. So please volunteer. With that, I uh, want to change the topic. Robert, I need a little bit of help from you. Our listeners need help. The Affordable Care Act. So this week, news broke that the rates for next year, when the exchanges reopen, that the uh, rates are going to go up significantly. And uh, I know this probably has a lot of people very concerned, both not only because it, if you're if you're receiving the care, it's going to cost significantly more, right? Uh, that's obviously a paramount concern. But also, we we want to see the Affordable Care Act work. So. Let our listeners know a little bit what's behind the rate increases and what we ought to be doing and, and what does this mean for uh, health care uh, reform going forward. Well, and this is important because uh, some of our listeners may be surprised to see in statewide media our organizing director Kevin Kane and all of these stories. Well, it's because we don't take the usual conventional communication approach that, gee, bad news, let's hide our heads, let's play possum, which uh, is what, unfortunately, a lot of people are doing with the Affordable Care Act rather than explaining what's going on and explaining to the public how we move forward. So, yes, the federal government released the rates, by the way, Governor Walker never wants to release the rates, but the federal government does under the Affordable Care Act. And they're going to be substantially higher if for most plans, up to 30% higher. And so what we're telling people, and this is important, is, is that the reason they continue to go up is because we've not taken the next steps in health care reform. So it's not even insurance anymore. We know the insurance companies are taking their cut, and we should have rate review, which we've been pushing for and, and have a model bill on from Representative Colsty and Senator Larson. Uh, but at the end of the day, the underlying medical costs are the big driver here, and there are two different elements. First, there is simply underlying cost of medical services, which according to the research that was released a couple months ago from the big insurance companies, Wisconsin has the second highest underlying medical cost in the country, in the highest cost country in the world, only behind Alaska, which is has its own challenges, obviously. And so we're, we're really the second highest in the world. And so that's what's driving this in part. And we are doing nothing 
in Madison or in the legislature to deal with out-of-control medical prices. And then second, there's the fine, fine pharmaceutical corporations who've had the political power to uh, force Medicare not to negotiate with them under Medicare Part D, not to be included in any cost reforms in the Affordable Care Act, and they are raising prices substantially. Uh, it's literally price gouging, right, where people need vital medications and they're charging much more than any reasonable cost would be based on the research they put in, based on the cost of production, and based on what they charge anywhere else, right, uh, compared to, the, to our country. And so those are the two main drivers. We do need more accountability insurance as well. The nice thing about the rate review bill, and by the way, we're also working with Rezev Kulsti on a, a bill to regulate prescription drug costs and make them more transparent. But as far as insurance rate review, uh, all the bill says is, is that if the insurance companies can have to justify the rate increase, if they can justify it, then they have to release information on what's driving the rate increase. And so if the insurance companies are right, and they mostly are, that this is coming from uh, rising medical costs and prescription drug costs, then guess what? They will justify their rates, and then they can help us find out who we need to take action on, where state government should be focusing. And so the insurance companies should be all over supporting the rate review bill because it will prove that they are not the main culprits and focus attention on those who are. But we're not doing that right now. And so instead, we're saying the problem is that we're guaranteeing people have somewhere to get, go to get health care. So apparently, we have to allow pre-existing discrimination. We have to throw uh, young adults under 26 off their parents' policies. We have to allow all of these abuses. We have to charge women more than men uh, because of costs, instead of actually dealing with the next stage of reform, which is cost and affordability. Well, I feel good about this, being that I get my health care on the exchange. So, Robert, I hope you're successful in moving Madison to do something. Well, they're doing nothing because the conservative majority is in the pocket of the pharmaceutical corporations and, uh, and, and for the accountability of health providers. Look, there's huge differences. There are some health providers that are providing uh, 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 good rates. One of the problems we have, one of the reasons the costs are so high is, is that we emphasize specialty care far too much and we don't, uh, we don't emphasize preventive care, chronic disease management. And in fact, here's where I will take a shot at the insurance companies. It is costing everyone more money when they have benefit designs where you have high deductibles for, th for vital medications, like for preventive, prevention and chronic disease uh, management, because if someone can't afford their insulin, for example, or their asthma inhaler, guess what? Because of the deductible or copay, then they get really sick and end up in the hospital, and then it's a lot more expensive. So it's not, it's not likely that we're going to have the kind of uh, change at the state level that could probably produce what you're talking about. Let's, Robert, not I'd like to get... current management. So, no. correct, <laughs> which is where we're at. Could just, uh, could I get 30 seconds to a minute on, let's say Hillary were to win, how, how do we start to take steps at the federal level to improve and start to move the ball again, because we know there'll be opposition from the other side on this, but your thoughts on that? Well, Hillary has agreed, has both campaigned on and agreed to a lot of very important steps, and I was involved in writing the Democratic platform uh, for Bernie Sanders, and the healthcare platform is very, very strong. In fact, I plan to do a blog comparing the Republican to the Democratic, but the, the, the key elements of it are that it will work on reducing the cost of deductibles and co-pays, work on capping the cost of prescription drugs, negotiating for prices, allowing people to buy from other countries when it's cheaper, so drug importation. Um, it will include a robust public option 
uh, to compete with private insurance, and it will allow people to start uh, buying into Medicare at the age of 55, and it will allow states to actually experiment with universal health care models like single-payer and Medicare for all. So short of going to full Medicare for all, that's the only thing that's not in here, this is an extremely progressive and robust health care platform, and Hillary has embraced it and said it's hers. So, so yeah, so I, so I, I, I get that. My question to you is, what, what do you see, say, say the Democrats could get the Senate, maybe, right? Is, is there a pathway where some something could be pushed through? Do you think we're in a position, because otherwise we're talking about two more years, right, along to, before anything changes on this, right, because we've had gridlock. Do you, pour, do you believe that there would be a pathway where we could actually break the gridlock and, and possibly move through a Republican chamber, there, something to deal with this? I don't think we're moving it through Paul Ryan, assuming he uh, survives the current Trump attack in his primary, uh, which we'll get to later. But let's say it's Senate, uh, that the uh, Senate is Democrat or Republican, but there's a Democrat, Hillary is president, and there's still a Republican Congress. There are a number of things on the list I just provided that could be done administratively. So Hillary Clinton could allow strong public options on the federal health exchange now. She could uh, change, uh, change the rules, because mainly a rule problem, so that, it, so that states aren't punished, Vermont, Colorado, for example, that want to go to a Medicare for all model. Right now, it, this is, it gets technical, but you have, to, you have to not cost any more money even if you cover more people, which means that it becomes cost prohibitive because Medicare for all covers everyone. So if you change the interpretation of that rule, Vermont probably goes forward with a Medicare for all model. Colorado has on the ballot this year. They might go forward too. Uh, so there are a number of things. And by the way, and there are, there are other things as well. There's like a glitch in the, uh, the, called the family glitch that says that whether or not insurance is affordable to you for subsidies is based on a, the cost of a single plan, even if you have a family which means a lot of people aren't getting tax subsidies that should, that could be fixed administratively. So there's a list of things she could do without any Paul Ryan cooperation whatsoever. Okay, so listeners, take that list. Those are the things we need to be out there asking Hillary and other Democrats to do immediately, right? And, and these are things that we can do right away, and we don't need to be told that it needs to wait. So thank you, Robert. That's very helpful. With that, let's change topics. Jorna, I'm going to have you take the lead on our next topic because it's all about Paul Ryan and Donald Trump. Well, Love Paul Ryan. Yeah. Freakouts. Yeah, it's really, look, we got to talk more about Donald Trump because Last week, we thought it was a bad week for the guy, right? We talked a bit about the Dem convention, how it really set a contrast to how crazy Trump was. And then Trump doubled down on the crazy, Jorna. Well, I mean, where to start between chastising a baby crying at a rally to going after the Gold Star families to saying that he wants to get his Purple Heart medal the easy way without actually doing any time and service with the military? Um where do you start? So we'll start. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I really do still think that Trump is trolling America. And the scariest part here is that um, there are people that follow this trolling blindly and with devoted passion. So um, uh, wake up, America. This is a scary place to live. 
So, um, but concerning my good, good friend, Paul Ryan, uh, it, it seems that the, his orangeness is not going to endorse <laughs> fair, fair Ryan in this race of Paul's in the first congressional district. And instead turning around Ryan's own words on him this week and saying, I like Paul, but these are horrible times for our country. We need very strong leadership. We need very, very strong leadership. And I'm just not quite there yet. That, that's what makes you think he's definitely trolling. Right. Right? Because it's like it, it, he used his oh. own words, right? It's not at all like there's nothing politically smart necessarily about it other than it's awesome that he like is, <laughs> is enjoys awesome. poking fun at people oh. in his own party. I mean, look, he's in disagreement with his own VP candidate over endorsing Paul Ryan. Pence comes out this week, says he's going to endorse. He did try to suggest that it was because because Donald encouraged him. Yes, I can I can tell by his public uh, comments. Which VP candidate, Putin or Pence? I'm confused. <laughs> that's true. Well, Trump, Trump, Putin. Uh, that's right. The, this is you're talking about the well, kitchen cabinet because, president. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's because Pence Putin. reads his Koch brother memos and Trump does not. Probably doesn't have the attention span to do so. So it's amazing the whole thing with the Khan family is absolutely unbelievable. And the man can't has no self-control. He can't just be quiet. And uh, I don't know. P- people have these emotions, then they have a filter, right? So if you're on a plane and there's a baby just carrying on and on, you think you'd like to say shut up, and then you stop yourself and say, no, that's wrong. I'm not going to say anything. You don't yell put- fire in a crowded theater? <laughs> right. So we all have these I- initial emotions when something's annoying, right? I'm sorry, so that was the weirdest. I can see why he was annoyed with the Khan family pointing out that a war hero and their son is an incredible hero. He saved potentially hundreds of his fellow soldiers and sacrificed himself. I mean, the highest, the best in America, right? And, uh, and showing again that immigrants, including Muslim immigrants, right, are here to become Americans, uh, almost all of them, and to attack a whole group of people based on religion is outrageous. So it was brilliant that that was set up at the convention. But if you're smart, you have an immediate emotional reaction. Then you say, you know, I better just shut up. But not Donald Trump. Let's tweet away. And let's keep tweeting away. Uh, you know, there's all these satire sites that get put up. You know, there's Onion articles and there's all sorts of those, you know, crazy satire sites that my friends are posting links on Facebook. And sometimes you read them and you think, oh, yeah, Donald Trump actually. Wait, is that sat? I mean, the line between reality and fallacy is is so blurred with his orangeness. I don't even it's it is fascinating. And it's also telling that there are real conservatives and real Republicans in the party who are being very public about what is the process if Trump either steps down or we don't want him to be the nominee? The flaw is, is that apparently it, there's a process that could work if he does it before September 1st, right. which, of course, requires that Donald Trump is going to leave the race at the convenience of the Republican Party. Because <laughs> he's proven to do that yeah. a lot. <laughs> no, look, that is the one thing that is very clear about this. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. There was There's all this buzz about how he may be stepping down and Republicans are preparing what a bunch of nonsense, right? You talk to Trump, and he's just like, whatever. We're doing great. This thing's just taking off. We're gonna build some more walls. Yeah. <laughs> if he actually does, is trolling them and drops out, it'll be at the greatest inconvenience. It'll and be it like will October first. Oh yeah, no, it will not be in any way coordinated with any of these guys, right? Like, because and even if he did drop out by September first, I mean, this is still a <laughs> holy mess that they would find themselves in. 
So Trump is coming to Wisconsin it. on Friday. So uh, we'll see who's there. I assume that the big hatted, the big hatted men will be there. Sheriff David Clark and Lassay, probably with their cowboy hats on. I don't know if anyone well, else is showing up. Insulting cowboys, <laughs> having a little trouble with his congressional primary. Uh, yeah. Shockingly, uh, yeah. There's that. There are a lot of people ducking. Right, uh, Scott Walker. Obviously, Paul Ryan, who is now being opposed by Trump, uh, Ron Johnson, who clearly is going to be able to distinguish himself, right, Jorna, in all of this. <laughs> oh, uh, right. Um, so, I mean, the whole thing is, is on, uh, you know, what do you say? Unprecedented, unbelievable. He's certainly uncontrollable, right? So we'll see that their, their concern is this. The right's concern right now is they think that there's 40% base support for a Republican nominee and there are some polls being to pop up with him at 35. So the question is, is the Khan family dispute actually causing the hardcore base to begin to abandon Trump? That's the question. But be careful. This is a dangerous animal. And if Hillary just plays it safe and runs to the center, then it's still an anti-establishment year. And a lot of people might just be mad enough to say, you know, i just so mad I'm going to let this happen, and I'm going to trust that the nuclear codes will be okay. <laughs> By the way, this is the you, one— We con- didn't even talk about the nuclear this stuff. Is this is one week. condition where there might be a soft military coup, where if he, if he gave the launch order, the military might refuse to execute it. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> right. Hopefully. Oh, <laughs> okay. So with that, we actually we want to switch gears again. We want to talk a little bit about one final uh, issue before we— uh, uh, wrap up and talk a little bit about some elections. Uh, there's primary elections on Tuesday. Um, payday loans. We talked a little bit about this in the past, but um, we did an action this week against a speedy loan store here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with about 100 folks from our new national network, People's Action, which has uh, been working for a number of years on trying to rein in payday lenders. And, and in Wisconsin, payday lenders are a particular uh, issue. Uh, they barely existed uh, before Tommy Thompson. I think there were two of them. And Tommy Thompson lifted the cap on what you could charge, which used to be 18%. Uh, now they charge uh, as high as f- over 500% interest rates as you roll over uh, loans. It's actually an average it's of 26%. Av- yeah, so you know. and, and, just, <laughs> and we have, we're pushing over, I think, nearly 600 payday loan stores now in Wisconsin. And, and of course, they're very predatory on, on, on working-class folks. Uh, the numbers seem to indicate that we're talking around the average income, family income, around $22,000, of of folks who are taking out these loans. But so we did an action. We're really looking for the federal government. Uh, there are some potential rules out there that could actually start to bring in and regulate these lenders. Robert, why don't you tell us a little more about that? And Brian will provide a link so that people can comment. Uh, so the, the, uh, actually the, um, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, yes. which was, uh, 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 you know, Elizabeth Warren's idea run by Richard Cordery came up with these rules. By the way, the conservatives are all running on uh, getting rid of this agency. So there would be no such regulations well, under I, their version of America. I, I had forgotten that this agency existed. And I'm really yeah. glad we're actually talking about this issue because we need to, as progressives, under, know who the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is because it's actually could do some really positive things for us if, if it's not snuffed out. 
And so this is part of a national effort, the new national federation. We help create People's Action that has organizations like this. Nashua, Wisconsin, 30 states had its uh, delegates assembly in Milwaukee, the first ever, and that's why we took the action. But this has gotten a great deal of attention. In fact, I did an hour with Joy Cardine at 6 a.m. on Wisconsin Public Radio Thursday, so people could listen to that podcast if you want a whole hour on this topic. But very briefly, Matt's absolutely right. We used to have only two payday lenders in the state before Tommy Thompson said, ah, let's get rid of the interest cap. And that's when the industry exploded, just as the, the, the decline in the middle class and the expansion of poverty wage jobs got accelerated. What they're looking for is people who have a paycheck, right, a pay stub to bring in, enough money to pay them, but not enough to get out of the debt trap once it starts. So they want to turn over the loan constantly until they basically ruin the person. And it, people often end up with multiple payday lenders trying to pay off the initial loan and pay double, triple the amount that they lo- that, that, that was lent out. So it's, it's usury. I mean, in the Bible, sorry, anyone who's religious um, at all, this is, a, this, is, this is an unethical practice well beyond before our Constitution. I do want to say about this that there was, this is an example of where we need to get as, as Democrats and progressives, there was an effort uh, to rein this in and, and, and cap interest rates at 36%, which failed. Um, in, in 2010, when there was full Democrat control, the lobbying activity was too strong and they peeled people off. But ever since then, there's been no attempt to regulate by the Republicans. They've made it worse. In fact, they re-legalized auto title loans, which are a species of this. And in addition, they got rid, they basically created loopholes in the tracking. So we don't know how many payday loans there are anymore because they decided they shouldn't, we shouldn't have to track them. So there's a lot of loans that are payday loan-like that aren't tracked right now. So the no- state numbers claim they're going down and we know they're not. And so this rule is really simple. In fact, if you're not a predatory industry, you should support this rule from the uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. All it says is that to make a payday loan, uh, the lender should establish the person could actually pay the loan back while meeting basic living expenses. So if they can't do that, then you shouldn't give them the loan because then it's just predatory and you're just trapping them in a, in a, in a debt spiral. And so they claim they're helping people who need liquidity, who need a bridge between loans. Well, if that's true, they'd accept this rule. We know it's not. In fact, 80%, I think, of the loans are repeat loans for people who are caught in a debt trap, not original loans. So we will have a link on our site where you can go and make uh, public comments in support of uh, regulating this industry. Very, very important issue. And it's actually a good transition into our final topic around the elections. In fact, yeah, one... Yeah, let me, let me just say one thing, and that is that our allies at Wisperg have done great work on this and our allies at Wisdom. So I want to call them out. We're a little newer. We've been signing on to things. We're going to take a, m- put more time into this issue, but really they've laid the groundwork. So I always want to make sure we call, we call out and, uh, and raise up our coalition partners that work on key issues. Absolutely. So... Speaking of how these issues play out then in elections, we have primary elections on Tuesday, Tuesday, August 9th. These are very important. Uh, We have endorsed at the statewide level Senator Russ Feingold. I believe he has a primary opponent. So um, folks, get out, and you can vote for Senator Feingold statewide. You need to vote in order to find out who that opponent is. Otherwise, you might not know. (laughs) That's right. But uh, obviously, we know he has a uh, big opponent in the fall, but please get out and uh, vote. And there's a number of contested races down ballot. want to remind people here in um, Milwaukee County that we have endorsed uh, John Chisholm for district attorney. We see that as a very important race. Um, But there's also a number of competitive state legislative Senate 
uh, in assembly races that we have endorsed in, and I'm going to have a link to those. And to if those. you're interested, we had Mary Butari on last week from the Center of Media and Democracy. So go back to the last podcast if you want more of a discussion of what's going on with John Doe, Alec, and uh, the Koch brothers and the Chisholm race. But I uh, do want to uh, quickly tell you the endorsed legislative candidates. We've endorsed Mandela Barnes in Senate District 4, Latanya Johnson in Senate District 6. In the Assembly, uh, Joe Costa-Zamaripa in the 8th Assembly District, uh, Daryl Gibson in the 11th, Edgar Lynn in the 16th, David Crowley in the 17th, Christine Sinicki in the 20th, Lisa Subek in the 78th, and Sandy Pope in the 80th. We will have a whole slew of uh, state legislative endorsements uh, following the primaries, so there'll be a lot more uh, this fall on that. But I uh, wanted said, to make we sure... We said Daryl Gibson, right? I did. We did great. Yes. I wanted to make sure... We wanted to make sure people at least knew in these primary races where we stood. So, But there'll be more later on. But get out and vote. And uh, if you are listening on Friday, you can still vote early or as they call it, in-person absentee at your clerk's office and uh, encourage you to... not on the weekend because the new rules aren't in effect till November, but... Thank you, Robert. Yes, that is further clarification. Uh, with that, we're going to move to the weekend furlough. Joanna, what are you doing this weekend? I'm actually going to go up to Eagle River and judge a horse show. Beautiful. Yeah. Eagle River's got to be uh, perfect this time of year. Yeah, mid-70s. Oh, gorgeous. Robert, what's going on? Well, I live to violate Matt's rules, so my... <laughs> of course you do. My Did mom, I have any rules? <laughs> of course you do. So my mom had hip, repl hip replacement surgery on Wednesday, so is in the hospital recovering, so I need to go up and see her. Yeah, so, that really violates my rules, Robert. You, you have a deep understanding of the family. Oh, I hate that stuff. So speaking of the family hater, I will be... Uh, no, I'm just kidding, Robert. I, I hope everything goes well with your mother. Um, I know it's been up and down uh, medically, and we hope the best for her. She is a listener to the podcast, so... The when, she, when she gets the email, we'll deal with <laughs> when she on gets that. Oh, great. Excellent. <laughs> so um, this weekend, I will be doing some doors on Saturday. I'm going to probably get out and, and, and help Mandela Barnes and uh, Edgar Lynn. I also then have some racing going up to the uh, Door County Fair this weekend. It's Ooh, one of my... Nice. Favorite fairs. It is a, very cheap. You can ride the rides all day for five dollars. So, and the flat trackers are the main event at the main stage on Saturday night. So we'll be doing that. And then I'm going to see my mom on Sunday up at Shano. I have not uh, been to Shano Lake all summer, so I'm very much looking forward to spending I've some heard time. Other issues at Shano Lake. I've heard. Uh, I've heard tell. I'm sure there is. We always uh, have phosphorus runoff in the lake, so I'm sure I'll be getting water itch. With that, exciting news. We want to remind everyone, get out and vote, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, not, Wisconsin. Do not drop your iPhone in the, in the Shawano Lake. I was with you once when that happened, so be careful with the iPhone. On that note, goodbye, folks. <laughs>